It's like that guy who live streamed himself like counting to a million. Why would why would you? I'd I'd get so I don't know, bored. He had cameras like up in his living room, and he was like counting just up for months. Oh my god, that reminds me of dreams I used to have, where I'd be doing something, and then it would take days and days, and then it would all like just be for nothing, like it would break, or like I'd be building a tower or something, and then it would fall down <laughs> in dreams, and then. I just get this crushing sense of wasting my life and being like, that was all so fruitless. And there was these really, really crushing dreams about just doing these really long-term things and then them all falling apart. And I don't understand why I had these dreams when I was like eight, but I did. Oh, that's so depressing. I had a dream that Chelly got eaten by a bear. Welcome to Words Without Wisdom, the podcast where we answer the pressing questions that you didn't know that you wanted to hear the answers to. My name is Evan Dixon. And I'm Matthew Lyon. It's episode four. How are you feeling now that we're on episode four? I mean, this is going along I think we're on a roll. quite smoothly. I think I'm really happy with the productivity of both of our productivity levels. Get ready for consistent episodes to come. Yeah, consistent episodes to come. We will do one thing consistently for once in our lives. Woohoo! I know. It's like, this is me getting over my fear of commitment. <laughs> is that what you're going to say? This to is like therapy. To, 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 a, to a boyfriend or something uh-huh. and they say, oh, you're just you're just not committed enough. <laughs> and you go, well, I've done, tw- I've done 50 episodes of a, of a podcast, so... Am I really not committed? Exactly. I think you're the real problem I don't really here. have commitment issues. If there are any listeners out there, please email <laughs> are me at petitioning podcast wisdom. listeners now? No, oh, the, uh, are you uh, petitioning no, podcast no listeners? <laughs> oh my god. That is a new law. You're asking potential men to send you emails None of the, on a business email. Nothing works anymore. It's like, I don't know if it's because of corona or if it's just me, but like... You know, I, I think I'm going to hire, you know, those planes that fly past with like banners. I'm going to get one of those. I'm just going to put my number on it. What would it What would it say? Just my number. Just no, no connected information. No, I'm just a broad church, you know, big tent. What if you get women phoning you? Listen. Or paedophiles? Desperate times call for desperate measures. Or Kevin Spacey. Oh. Jeffrey Epstein. Oh no. Ghislaine Maxwell sitting in prison that flies past. <laughs> She goes, hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I appreciate the new law that you've stepped to know yeah. of petitioning people via the podcast. Via? Via? Via. Via. Yeah, I don't know why I said via. Um, via Did the podcast. Did you not podcast. get at me last week for saying, asking you if it was data or data? Data or data. Yeah, no, I did. It's still data. It's still data. The difference is though with that, one of those is correct. One of them, I just mispronounced it because I'm an idiot, but... <laughs> See the box from which your internet connection emanates? What do you call that? A router. See, I, I sometimes call it a router, and then every so often I say router, just like in a feat of Americanness, like in a, in a spontaneous burst of Americanity. Router. Yeah, it's very much a router. Yeah, because it roots. I had an interesting question, though. I had an interesting question for you, though. What is your favourite town or city in Arizona? <laughs> Um. Hmm. Uh, did you? Do you have one in mind? Is that why you're? Is you trying to yeah. segue into something? Yeah. No, I do. Mine is Tucson. Tucson, <laughs> Arizona. Oh. Uh, yeah. I I segued into that purely to make a mispronunciation <laughs> joke, and that is literally all I've got. My favorite city in New Mexico, which is close to Arizona, is a uh, Truth or Consequences. Is that real? Yeah. It, 
Did they not? I didn't realise that was a, real. A radio show called Truth or Consequences that like set out a competition where they promised to give money to a city that named itself after the radio show. Ah, oh, see, I I know it from the Doctor Who episode, the Zygon Invasion and the Zygon Inversion, where it's the town and the Zygon stronghold. It's oh. called is Truth or Consequences in New Mexico. So I thought that's what you were referring to. No, and I was like, I didn't realise. I didn't realise that was a real place. It is indeed. <laughs> Interesting. What was Truth or Consequences about? The the, the radio show? Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you. Was it literally like a sort of game show where you like pick truth or uh, just get dumped in some guns or something? Roughly two seconds to answer a trivia question correctly before a buzzer sounded. And on the rare occasions that a contestant did answer correctly, the host would reveal that the question had multiple parts. Failing to complete this truth portion meant the, the contestant had to face consequences, typically by performing a zany and embarrassing stunt. So it was just a thing where they got people on to answer impossible questions and then made them do stupid shit. Yeah. That feels like you would never go on that show <laughs> knowing know. that you basically never ever get the question right. And if you do, they're just like, psych, there was more. Obviously it wasn't even a celebrity show. It's just like normal, or is it a celebrity show? Yeah, just people. Show? No, it's just normal people. I guess so people would be like, I, I can do it. I'll get it right. I'll, I'll be the one person. I'll be like a success story and then I'll be in the sun on page four. Yeah, yeah that's like me. I, I'm so like overconfident when I watch game shows that I'd be like, I bet if I went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, I would just breeze through it without any lifelines sure you would so yeah truth or consequences not a hot program but do you know what is a hot program this week's oh, edition of Call of it. that doesn't really work welcome to America's hottest politicians with Matthew Lyon and Evan Dixon Hello and welcome to Hot or Not, also known as America's Hottest Politicians. This is the segment of the podcast where we analyse the physical attractiveness, emotional attractiveness and political attractiveness of certain members of the United States Congress in order to determine who is hot or not. This week's candidate, this week's candidate is the senior senator from West Virginia. He previously served as the 34th governor of West Virginia from 2005 to 2010 and the 27th secretary of state from 2001 to 2005. He is considered a moderate conservative Democrat and he is widely now known as a swing seat in the 50-50 Senate. It is, of course, Senator Joseph Manchin III, colloquially known as Joe Manchin. Oh... Evan, you really had to pick the most conservative Democrat in the Senate, didn't you? According to his Wikipedia page anyway, he's also the most American-looking man <laughs> I think I've possibly ever seen. His skin is just pure, like, fake tan. He's, <laughs> like, grey hair, thick build, you know? Like, he's just so quintess. And he's standing in front of what is definitely green screen <laughs> with fake books behind him in this picture. <laughs> So, um, Joe Manchin. Uh, Joe Manchin. I mean, as always, of course, we rate these. We rate these candidates on on three criteria. I've made some slight adjustments. So, rather than out of five candidates, only been marked out of ten. But all the previous candidates have just I've just scaled up. Okay. So for ideology, according to GovTrack, he gets a a point five nine. Uh, which puts him in, you know, the, the the more conservative half of the Senate. For looks, he gets a six. For charm, he gets an eight because... An eight? That is high. That is not our highest yet, but no, our, pretty our highest high. is nine. Uh, both Southerners, because I think, I think uh, 
Got a thing for Southerners. I think it's this. I think it's the Southern twang that does it for me. Jo- Josh Hawley, a Midwesterner, only gets five for charm, for example. But it's the South mm-hmm. that. Well, I don't know. I think it's debatable whether or not Missouri's in the Midwest. I don't really know anything about these overarching geographical locations in the in the United States. So I'll I'll, I'll leave that one to you. So how does this affect the statistics? You might ask. Well, this currently makes. Gives the Democrats an average overall rating of 68.33%, uh, which makes them the hottest party affiliation, aesthetically speaking. So that's not taking into account policy. I think we should probably explain the additional or criteria that we've, or the, the reworked criteria that we've added. Of course. So every candidate. I say that we've added, that you have added. Of course. So every candidate gets not only an overall hotness rating, but an aesthetic hotness rating, which doesn't take into account their policy, which means that. Candidates with whom I politically disagree still get a fair chance at being marked uh, on their looks, their subjective looks, and their my so that my, so that pers- so that Republican policy basically doesn't drag down the hotness rating exactly. So this still contributes to a trend that, or this doesn't affect the trend that as conservativeness increases. So too does aesthetic hotness, um, and that's currently interesting. So that that trend is maintained, yeah, and that still currently leaves Florida as the overall hottest state. That's just that's the Bill Nelson power of Bill Nelson right there. That is indeed uh, a, a few additional statistics. Uh, non-incumbents seem to be appear to be slightly hotter on average than incumbents, both overall and aesthetically. And uh, former representatives or people who have held a seat in the House of Representatives are the overall hottest um, group. And governors, senators, and representatives currently are all tied on their average hotness aesthetic hotness rating so that's a rundown of the statistics you've added a lot of a lot of statistics i've not been doing any school work what are you doing with your life <laughs> not, not i appreciate things. that the dedication to the podcast and to the hot or not i'd like to publicly apologize and state that that was well of course you, you've still been doing you've still been doing the work for that teacher the one that is listening oh, of course of Hi. course whichever one that might be so as always when it comes to the end of this segment it's time to get my fantastic opinion um so on joe mansion i think i made it quite clear with the introduction policy ooh. charm i don't know much about his charm but looks ooh. i hate americans they are not attractive especially american men just just mm, i don't i don't have it like quint like not all american men but like the ones who look american if you know what i mean so i i, I would say for joe mansion unsurprisingly so far not hot <laughs> so i think hot and i think not you've been listening to america's hottest politicians with matthew lyon and evan dixon hello and welcome back to the main segment of the podcast the podcast surrounding the podcast if you will rather than the podcast within the podcast, podcast. surrounding the podcast within a podcast that is itself a podcast yes exactly i'm gonna i'm gonna grab the reins of this a little bit here and i'm gonna steer us towards something that has been annoying me for a few days now it's something i i don't know many people will agree with maybe some people will find it crass some people won't some people will have more sentimental feelings about it but the coverage on the news and on tv programs over the last few days surrounding the one year since the the start of lockdown in the UK landmark is so irritating to me. Okay, now let, let me explain my position here. For example, this was this was really just sparked in my head just before I came on the podcast. The one show was playing in the background and they were doing about four or five segments on different 
one year since lockdown things. And I'm just thinking to myself, they are presenting this horribly skewed, romanticised view of lockdown and the year of lockdown as some time when everyone kind of is just... The only thing that's happened during lockdown is we've all just sat at home. Like, that seems to be the sort of media narrative around surrounding this one year in lockdown thing is the lockdown is such a big frustration and we've all had to sit at home and that's all that's happened. And I think it's kind of crass. I think it's kind of dismissive. And almost, it's so, it's so like whiny, mm-hmm. and and I appreciate the 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 struggles that have come with that, and you can deal with those personally. But just like people like um, Alex Jones, I, I I always find it hilarious. Her name is Alex Jones because she's you know, yeah. Alex Jones on the one show sitting complaining about being stuck in her presumably million pound mansion with things galore to do and she can still leave the house and she can still go to work and she still gets paid and she still gets to go on TV shows when people have died people are living in destitute poverty during this time where they can't have access to services that they need I mean mean, I've realised this is really serious but I'll frame this into the words without wisdom style question is that what do you think of the media coverage of the year since lockdown Uh, I think I'm in the same boat as you to be honest first of all we're not out of it yet so it just seems pretty point like rather than milestones um, do we mark I know whether we stop marking the milestones are we going to do this when we're out of it this doesn't make any sense to me because the lockdown was just sort of a like an arbitrary date that it happened it's not like we're the lockdown is a side effect of covid Uh it's not that it's not it's not really the thing we should focus on it's like oh we're all stuck inside oh no but people are dying you know it would be nice if if they'd sort of done it to mark i didn't see the one show because i can't stand the one show oh neither can i but it just other people were watching it i think it would have been nice if they'd sort of if the media coverage was was about sort of trying to mark the positives i mean actually that's kind of what it was okay so maybe we are more disagreeing on this actually maybe scratch that and i'll I'll think of a different opinion No, 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 keep the opinion. It's just, no, 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 I, I know it's, we, we can rework it or we can do whatever. I just, I, I think that's interesting though, that the, they kind of were focusing on the positives and they were presenting this sentimental rose tinted view of lockdown. Yeah, well, that's like it a was, bit annoying. And, and yeah, and, and saying, oh, we all got to learn a new instrument or we all got to, 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 there was a guy, for example, and this is a, it's a heartwarming story, but it's a guy who had learned to read over lockdown because he'd never been able to read. He'd had cancer. He had, you know, he could never got the chance. He had to leave his education, stuff like that. But as much as I appreciate those things, they, they just never said anything else. It presented this really rose-tinted, sentimental view of lockdown, like some kind of great national holiday where there were like a ho- like a holiday, basically. A national holiday and everything was great oh, and all we did was went on so holiday. Isn't it? People are going to start saying, like, in like 10 years' time, there's going to be like people are going to start selling lockdown eggs at, in the middle of March. John Lewis are going to have their like yearly lockdown festivity adverts where they like, you know, there's always like a, a cute animated animal accompanied by a Lily Allen like, song. We, we remember lockdown. So corporatized. And, and that's the thing. It's always we remember lockdown, not we remember the lives that have been lost or, or you know. And along with that lot, and along with this, all this talk of lockdown has also come my second least favorite part of of COVID overall, other than deaths and stuff, which is the mantra you get 
TV hosts, the Prime Minister, government, people, even even MPs that I quite like, saying things like, we're all in this together. And you think, no, we're not. We're all facing the pandemic, yes, but some of us are facing it, like us, like frankly, quite well-off people, Mm -hmm. quite lucky people. We're facing it with people, at least nobody in my family has any major illnesses. Nobody in my family's even got COVID. None of them have died. I have a big back garden. I have a new puppy. I have, you know, I have all these things locked in for me. I think it's quite easy to say we're all in this together when you're not one of the people whose like parents are in a care home dying of dementia and Correct. you can't go and see them because you're not allowed to go and see them and and you can't even you can't even get them out because you don't have the money to put them up somewhere like for example anyone who's well off or quite rich is is they're 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 not going to be worried about their mother being in a in some in a care home and getting infected because their mother isn't in a care home they probably brought them out and put them in, in their own private home with a private nurse who lives in the house all day and gets paid 24 7 you know mm-hmm. We're not all in this together. So I guess the question would be, are the media painting an accurate portrayal of the, the, the real grueling nature of lockdown? I mean, is, there is are certain over, segments you know that... What, you haven't mentioned that. I, I do now think it is quite rose-tinted. I mean, there are certain segments of of the news where they do look at the like at at, at specific stories of of struggles and stuff like mm. that but it's always from the perspective of oh this could happen to anyone and this is just oh it's such a terrible you know but it can it, it, it's so much more likely to happen to other to some people more than others and to people living in different conditions to others exactly. people who have to leave the house like for and and then, and then the same thing Alex Jones she's on TV she's still got a job she still gets paid there are manual labor workers who couldn't go to work mm-hmm. because they were told not to and they physically are not allowed and they don't have a job anymore they're not in it with alex jones <laughs> it's this sort of faux capitalist bring it all bring us all together we're yeah, all in this even the like wor- even the bourgeoisie and the and the proletariat are in it together and they're just not yeah it's like performative uh togetherness performative togetherness mm-hmm. i'm writing that down right alongside thermal contrast which you'll remember if you're a long-time <laughs> listener uh, a long time listener. You've been listening for a whole four weeks. You'll you'll know. But yeah, uh, that just that irked me, and I thought I'd go on and rant about it and get your opinion on it and get the audience's opinion on it because you know we always love to hear from you. And if you have anything to say, email us at wordswithoutwisdom at gmail dot com without an O in the wisdom W I S D M wordswithoutwisdom at gmail dot com. Hello there, it's Matthew from the future here, and I'm just here to say that. Uh, I'm going to be inserting a little rant that I recorded after watching a news segment here. It may seem a little bit out of place, but I really wanted to get it in the podcast, and this seemed like an appropriate place uh, as we were discussing media narratives and stuff. And then we'll head back to, uh, to the original recording of the podcast. Here we go. Hi. So this is Matthew in the process of editing this podcast, interrupting here, just because I just saw something on the news and I wanted to have a big rant about it and I wasn't sure where to do that and I thought I'll stick it in the podcast so Evan isn't here it's just me I was watching BBC News and they were covering a story about uh, shop floor workers who were fighting the company that owns the shop for more pay essentially for quote-unquote equal pay to the people who work in the warehouse and do in the warehouse job right for the same company but the bbc and in fact the the women themselves for some baffling reason in the 
most moronic display of identity politics I've ever seen. They decided to frame it as a women's equal pay issue. What? Let's start for the fact that they, they are comparing their different job to the work of someone doing a different job, right? Now, I think these women, and by the way, it was just all, they just only got women on, but it was all the workers on the shop floor who I'm sure are not just women. I, I want these women to get paid more because that's, because they, because people don't get paid enough. The minimum wage is far too low. It hasn't risen with inflation. It's not a living wage. And I imagine they don't get paid much more than it. But it's not a, a women's equal pay issue to say that people who work in, in a way, and you don't get paid as much as people who work in a warehouse. That is a value of work issue and one that deserves to be taken seriously as a value of work industry, as an anti-corporate. I'm not getting paid enough because we live in a capitalist economy that wants to exploit me. And you have to pay warehouse workers more working in more dangerous conditions not much more by the way still basically the minimum wage but whatever just to get people to sign up otherwise they just wouldn't do it so of course the bbc and the media and and the public messaging on this would be that it's a women's rights issue because that is comfortable likable identity politics doesn't really bother the establishment too much but nobody's tackling the real issue that this is an issue of, of essentially the fact that workers don't get paid enough they don't get paid enough because we live in a tragic free market economy well free market in quotation marks economy that exploits workers that's the society we live in that's the economic system we live under but this was being made into an equal pay issue completely missing the point and ruining any opportunity to explore this as an issue of the worker against capital, the worker against exploitation. Once again, a perfect example of identity politics getting in the way of the real issue. Back to the podcast now. Sorry about that. Um, now, speaking of the email, I was checking our inbox and I noticed that a reply had been sent to someone in our inbox. And I was wondering, you obviously sent that reply. So would you like to talk about that email? We did. We received a question this uh, this morning from a dedicated viewer who asked us, uh, as humans, would you rather be a moist slug, a sturdy snail, or a wobbly worm? A moist slug, a sturdy snail, or a wobbly worm? Uh, first of all, I like how the, the second two are alliterative, but the first one isn't. True. Could have been a slimy snail. Slimy slug, yeah. Wait, wait. What, which one wasn't a lizard? I've forgotten what they were already. It was a moist already. slug. Oh, a moist slug. It could be... Wait, was slimy not the snail, though? Sturdy snail. Sturdy snail, oh, yes. It could be slimy snail. Smelly snail. Sluggy snail. No, it's slug. Oh, I'm my brain. <laughs> These animals are too similar. It's it's. So would you rather be a slug, a snail, or a worm? I would think essentially... I would rather be a snail because I think a slug and a worm are too similar in the sense that they're both sort of... Well, I think a slug is a mollusk. I don't know what biological classification a worm falls into, but they're both sort of slimy, long, chibi things that are naked. That's a true. A snail at least has some sort of protection see mm, see this is what i was saying you're thinking of of appearances i'm thinking, I'm thinking environmental practicality because a snail has know, some sort yeah. of protection 
True, that's true. And that's what I'm getting onto here. Environmental factors. Slugs are just awful. People stand on slugs. People have no care for slugs. You know, whatever. Snails, although they have that element of protection, the shell is really thin and can be crushed quite easily. And the second thing about snails is children. Children come all the time. And I did this when I was younger and I'm not exempt from it. They come and they pick up snails off of things and they take a snail and, and it's it's resting quite peacefully on a bit of your shed or something and they take it and they peel it off with force <laughs> and then they throw it around and eventually discard it somewhere miles from its home but it'll take years to get back and it just dies oh that's such a depressing image that is the life of a snail that is the life of a snail and for that reason i'd be a worm because you have like a million lives as well snails can be you can be cut in half and you'll be fine and you're a lot smaller so people it's harder to find you you can go into you can go underground it's super cool snails can't go underground snails suck that's my take that's true. Also, worms make compost, so they're like environmental. True. You can rummage around in that in, in those apples, those apple cores. Know, you can eat some peels. apples, carrot peels, and all sorts of things. Children don't tend to pick up worms as much. I feel like statistically, snails are stood on a lot more often as well. So maybe I'm reconsidering my choice. Probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, on top of that, if a snail gets stood on, I think it's much more fatal than standing on a worm. Is this true, by the way? I'd like. I'd love to ask someone who knows. Maybe I'll look like an idiot on on this podcast, but. Maybe I'll cut it out if, I, if I'm wrong. But I was always told that slugs were just snails who had come out of their shells. Is that true? I don't think so. I think they're two different no, I, I've just been clearly just been lied to then. No, I was always told that like snails were snails and then they went, I don't want this shell anymore. And they just went out and became slugs. Um, <laughs> that probably seems a bit ridiculous, but I've never had that debunked or never thought to debunk it. I, 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 as far as I'm aware, slugs are bomb without shells. As, as slugs. Okay, that's fine. No, I, I'm just, I was just making sure because I've never thought to debunk it. So I think that's a good place to stop that segment and move on to the final section of tonight's uh, episode and that is ranking doctor who episodes part two. Oh yes back to ranking doctor who episodes part two on our search for the answer to the question what is the best doctor who episode of all time so we commence with world war three the second part of or the, the, the second part of the two-part story known as aliens in london slash world war three the the i, I believe it's, it's mainly called like the referred to as the world war three or the slovene arc the season one yeah. slovene arc we'll call it that which actually it's the first two parts of a three-part season one slovene arc technically if you include boomtown but yeah i'm now i'm now waffling so world war three as we discussed last week aliens in london good setup but always going to have less dramatic tension than the finale to the story and i think it's an excellent finale harriet jones gets loads of stuff to do the hiding in the the lead the the, the room with the small door or something to hide to avoid a missile strike is a bit ridiculous but it's fun it's doctor who that's what you do i believe this is the one where mickey and jackie get to hack into unit and uh, obviously it's because they fire the missile hack into unit and shoot the slovene guy with the vinegar and stuff that's all good stuff actually getting giving them a bit to do so considering we put aliens of london in good i'm gonna say i would also put world war three in good yeah i think that's fair i don't think either is, is particularly better than the other uh-huh world war three is better but it's not not by much not by any significant no, not enough means. to jump a rank so the next episode is dalek um quite frankly the best episode of series one i would say i, I would actually I, well second maybe to the party of the ways but 
Maybe, maybe. But it, well, that, it, I mean, in terms of it revolutionized uh, Daleks. It, it reinvented the Dalek. Uh-huh. From these clunky machines that everyone laughed at and joked about. They couldn't go upstairs. It was clearly just a man and to a these thing clunky that they machines that along. can go upstairs. <laughs> can go upstairs with flying. And I mean, using the sucker as well oh, to, to crush that guy's me. face. So I, I'm I'm willing to put Dalek in the amazing category. I'm willing to put Dalek in the amazing category. Robert Shearman just revolutionized the Daleks. It's amazing. Wait, I'm going to put it in the greatest. Do you not want to put it in the greatest? Do you want to put it in amazing or the greatest? Um, okay, let's put it in the greatest. I'm going to put it in the greatest. We can shift it later, but the greatest for now, I would say. I mean, I'm going to say it's up there with some of the, you know, the best episodes of Doctor Who. Right, if you ask Doctor Who fans, you know, what's the one of the best episodes? A lot of people will mention Dalek. I mean, it's pretty mm. outstanding. No, and that would make the next episode the long game. Interestingly, such a forgettable episode that I don't even have that much to say about it. Other it, than it's, it's so Simon Pegg strange it. that it's such a forgettable episode, but it's also like set up for the finale. Yeah, it's so important to the finale, like as a setup for that and and giving all the context for that. But people forget about it because it's just so dull. It had some memorable cast members, I suppose. It had Simon Pegg and Tamsin Gregg and Simon Pegg was good, but I mean, it had Adam, the companion, or the one episode companion. Adam, who was dull as a sack of bricks. So the long game, I, it's so forgettable. I'd put it in bad, honestly. I think it's a pretty bad yeah. episode. Bad, Some bad CGI in it with the wee head things, and I think it's overall just a bit underbaked. And that would make the next episode Father's Day, which... A lot of people hate on and a lot of people rag on. I think it's a really good episode. So do I, actually. We're not having any major points of disagreement so far. Not so far. I feel like once we get into later seasons, mm-hmm. I mean, most people kind of agree on, on seasons one and two as mm-hmm. like where all the rankings go. I think it's when people start, the season three and four and onwards, where people start to, to start to disagree on things because it gets more sort of extreme in its... Yeah, the writing gets a bit more yeah, laughable. Like everything in, yeah, I mean, everything in, in season one and two is kind of not it's not flat because there are some really good bits and there's some really bad bits but it's it's more kind of everything is moderately just okay uh-huh. and most people can agree on that whereas when the writing starts to get more heightened sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a bad way it can make people you know people have extreme reactions to extreme things so yeah. but for now father's day i think it's a pretty good episode i think it's some good backs rose gets a lot to you know a lot to do in it that's more kind less just kind of running after the doctor going oh what's happening but, yeah you're absolutely right i think it's like a seminal moment in rose as a character well it is mm-hmm. good good into good interaction with her father uh-huh. the, the actor for pete is mm, he's good and he comes back in season two obviously yeah. and he's really good in that a good as well. interaction with herself true True. And and also a nice little sort of sci-fi time travel element with the time reapers. Uh-huh. So I'd 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 put Father's Day in good. I would, I would it's a pretty Father's good Day episode. Good. And that's all the episodes we've got time for. This this episode. That's all the episodes we've got time for this episode. That really sounds great, doesn't it? So that's the end of this episode. We, 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 we've, we've come to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Always remember that if you have anything to say about anything we talked about in this episode from Doctor Who to media coverage of COVID to anything else to Joe Mansion, email us at wordswithoutwisdom at gmail.com without a no in the wisdom wordswithoutwisdm at gmail.com I just have to say it twice every time and make sure to get, uh, get in contact with us on our email and get into our inbox and we might answer some of your questions like we answered questions from the inbox this week. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. Uh, It's bye from me. It's bye from me. Goodbye.